0: Chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. So I'll just, um, before I read, I'll just pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, commit to you this reading. We just pray that you would um, yeah, use it um, to breathe life into the words and um, to, to really make them stand out and be real to us. We just um, pray too for Glenn's sermon that you would anoint his lips and um, bring us your word this morning. Amen. So it's called Alive in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of the Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead.
1: And for those who don't know me, my name's Glenn Decker, the pastor's here, Um, and I have the privilege of opening up this portion of the Bible and exploring a little bit um, what this might mean for us. Um, I always find uh, it a joy to open up the Bible and to explore these uh, things of faith at uh, Easter time, Um, and I often find myself seeing and experiencing God in, um, in new ways, in different ways, and I pray that that might be your reality too. I pray too, or oh, I'm thankful too, I was just when Rob was praying there as well, um, and just all the list of people that we're praying for here, um, because we believe that Jesus is alive, that he makes a difference in this world today. And so that's why we pray for those things. And if you're here today and you've got things that you need uh, God to change in your life, uh, we would love to pray for you about them, whether that be sickness, uh, um, emotional troubles or whatever. We would love to pray with you and see Jesus interact with that too. So after the service, there's a time for prayer uh, and we'd love to uh, pray with you during that because we uh, are at the end of the service because we believe and know that Jesus makes a difference in this life today. So our theme for Easter services uh, this year has been uh, celebrating an unlikely victory. Uh, Triumphing over... uh, uh, From Colossians 2 uh, verse 15 is the verse that we've been... um, or that I've been sort of focusing on uh, this Easter. And Colossians 2 uh, verse 15 says this from my version. Um, And having disarmed... Or one, the powers, uh, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And I want us to think about what does it mean for us to have um, an enemy defeated, uh, for us to know what triumph is, what victory is. And I found this picture today um, where it talked, uh, in there it talks about making them a public spectacle. And so in the day of Jesus, uh, and Paul when he wrote this, what would happen is the Romans, when they won a victory, when the Romans won a victory, um, they would come back into the town with a victory march, and what they would do is that they would get their enemies to carry all the um, the loot that they had won, or that, um, you know, to show that, uh, we are now the victors and we're the, the enemy has been defeated. And as they had marched them through the town, there would be this sense of this is your reality now. This is the reality now. The enemies have been defeated and we are the victors. And so Jesus or Paul through this, uh, through this letter is wanting to ram that home to the people who are reading this, uh, ram it home to us on Easter Sunday that we are now the victors in Christ and that uh, his victory is us, and it's been triumphed through the cross. And as we reflected on uh, Easter, uh, sorry, on Good Friday, um, it's a bit of an unlikely victory, isn't it? How can someone going to a cross, dying on a cross, um, become victory? And uh, what does that mean for us? And so we're going to explore that a little bit today, and I'm I'm thinking particularly for two questions that have been going through my head this, uh, this week, and hopefully um, this message will help us wrestle with those questions. Um, those questions, um, uh, the first one is, how does dying uh, on a cross, how does Jesus dying on a cross become victory? That's what we want to wrestle. If, that's what, if we're going to celebrate victory today, we're going to have to know how that happens and how that works. So we're going to explore that a bit this morning. And also... Uh, how does that then become peop- uh, how does that become victory to people like you and me or people through history? so it 's one thing to claim a victory, but how does it become our victory? And so those two questions I hopefully um, want to wrestle through this morning. If we go to our next slide. On Good Friday, um, we saw some clips here in this church about um, sort of just reenactments of people who were around um, Jesus and around the cross when he was crucified. And one uh, of those uh, people that I just haven't been able to get out of my mind is Barabbas. And Barabbas, and particularly the way, if you were here on Good Friday, the way that um, the guy spoke um, sort of in the first person about Barabbas and what his response uh, would have been. So Barabbas was a criminal that was um, in the prison system where Jesus was cru- uh, when Jesus was being tried by the Romans and um, just about to be cru- crucified as well. Uh, Barabbas was in jail for uh, rioting. Uh, for committing murder so he was a murderer Uh, and the Bible says he was a notorious criminal so he was in jail uh, for the right reasons Uh, he'd been uh, a horrible person in his life and basically if you remember the clip on Friday he was going from there uh, his next step out of the jail cell was to be crucified and killed as a convicted uh, criminal. And then Pilate uh, at the time who was trying to um, sort of keep the Jews happy at the time and he had a tradition that around sort of the Passover which they were sort of celebrating at that time, the way that he would keep the Jews happy sometimes is that he would release a prisoner. And so a way of, because he didn't think Jesus was guilty, it's interesting isn't it, eventually he declared that he didn't think Jesus was guilty, he's just trying to keep everyone happy and... Um, As a way of doing that, he says, well, maybe if I put Jesus and Barabbas there, they're obviously going to choose Jesus to let him go and be free, and then I can get my hands off convicting an innocent person. But that's not what happens, is it? Uh, The Bible records that uh, the crowd actually cries out for Barabbas to be freed. And Barabbas is actually given freedom, and Jesus goes to the cross. And the thing that I've just been thinking about all the time is just Barabbas' response to that imagine the fact that you're just about to go to the cross you're about to be hung up on the cross and die and you know that you've deserved it and then by just the most unlikely of circumstances the weirdest perception the crowd starts crying out your name to be freed and in the coming sort of hours you're free from jail and you're looking at a man who's dying basically in your place Imagine, what sort of response would you have if you were an inmate on death row, pretty well, Just and someone comes and dies in your place so that you can go free? What would your response be? A most unlikely victory... (laughs) What would your response be if that was you? How would you respond to something like that? I'll come and touch back on Barabbas a little bit later, but I want to um, wrestle with this first question that I raised before. is that, um, It's one thing to say Jesus has won the victory at Easter, but how does that actually work? And so I, I put together a bit of a slide, and you're going to have to excuse me for this. So <laughs> we'll go to the next slide. <laughs> I'm a bit of a visual person and I, I like a bit of a timeline, actually. Um, it sort of helps me sort of put things into place. And so as I was thinking about Easter uh, this, uh, and, and, and this whole idea of the victory of Christ, I think um, what Paul does too in Colossians is that he, he takes this Easter message and the story that, that Jesus has won the victory and he puts it into the context of eternity. He puts it in the context of eternity, from the beginning of history uh, to the end. And he does that um, in the beginning. If you've got your Bibles there, Colossians 1, verse 15, this is what he starts to say about Jesus, who triumphs on the cross. He says, Jesus, in verse 15, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over creation. For by him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones, powers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And so what he does is he says, basically, this victory is won by Jesus, who is God, and he created the whole world. So you need to understand this victory in the creation of the whole world. And so what I've got down uh, the far end is there, and, and the Bible sort of plans this out is that the beginning of, uh, of the world, uh, there is God who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit who existed uh, sort of outside time and he creates the universe. And do you notice what he said there? He creates the universe but also the visible and the invisible, powers and authority. So there he creates angelic beings uh, that operate in the spirit realm. That we can't see, but there are a reality there and they interact uh, with this world. And the Bible goes on to tell us that, um, that Satan, uh, who was um, an angel and uh, with uh, a number of other angels, rebel against God and become basically the force of evil. Uh, And there's this spiritual reality that um, comes into being there. So, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's a little bit messy, but we're going to go through it. So God uh, and his people, what are they doing when they're with Adam and Eve? God and uh, his people are living together in perfection. This is what God desires. He wants people, his creation, to live with him in perfection forever. Uh, In the spiritual realm, Satan begins to tempt the people and Adam and Eve sin. And they fall. And the sin is they actually rebel against God. They don't do what God asks. They don't live the way that he asks them to live by not eating of the tree. And from then on, sin and death become a reality. God says, because you have uh, rebelled against me, uh, the consequences of sin which he had laid out in Genesis was that you would die. And that that death is both a physical death and a spiritual death. That um, before that, humanity, humans, were destined to live for eternity. They're eternal beings, to live with God forever. And now they have to die physically, but also die spiritually. And that means, to die spiritually means to be separated from God, to live apart from God and not have anything to do with God. And that in and of itself is agony. And the Bible describes it as hell. Uh, That is separation from God, not living with God anymore. And so as history unfolds, the people of Israel um, uh, become the mechanism of the promise that God gives right even there, right at that time. He says, but God, uh, I have a plan. God says, I have a plan. I am going to send someone who is going to defeat the enemy. He's going to crush the Satan's head. He's going to crush the serpent's head and bring victory and salvation to his people and restore his people back to this right relationship with God so when we get to the end of the Bible it's this picture of God and his people living together in perfection again and as we read through uh, the Bible it sort of pretty well becomes evident that there is a war happening a spiritual war that Satan and his uh, and his demons are seeking to bring about the destruction of God's people and uh, as the people try and follow along the way, they're mixing, mixing uh, things up and they're finding that no one can actually uh, find their way back to God. They put in, try and put in kings, they try and put in sacrifice systems and stuff like that, but no one can actually keep this and do this. Until in the end, and this is where the Easter story comes in, that God sends his son to earth and that at Christmas, we remember that Jesus came and lived as a human being, he entered this, uh, this plan of salvation. And as Jesus lived on this earth, uh, we know the ultimate end of his life where he was tried and convicted as a, an innocent person, someone who could actually fulfill the law, someone who actually could live the way God lived, uh, wanted them to live. And he is put on the cross. And in that place, uh, in that place, he redeems his people. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that. What God has said, he said, because you have disobeyed me, because you haven't followed the way I have asked you to do, the consequence of that is death. And the language that the Bible uses around this is two powerful languages. One, it's a legal language, so it's a court case that he brings against people, and it's financial. And we hear things like that you are declared guilty, or that you have a debt that you cannot repay. And this idea that when Jesus comes onto the earth, he fulfills the law, he perfectly obeys what God asks him to do. So he pays the price. And what does he do? He receives the sentence of sin, which is death. And he dies on a cross as a cursed person. And as he does that, um, this then because he was both uh, God and man, can be passed on to those who believe it to be true. And so he pays the price. uh, And in some ways, um, uh, or in many ways, uh, Easter Sunday, as he rises from the dead, um, he shows that he has victory over death, that he is God, and that he um, is over and above this. So he pays the price for sin and then uh, shows Satan... And evil, who he really is, and that death has no hold of him, and he rises to life. And so um, in some ways, Satan realized that he's defeated, and the war is over. But as we know, that's not where it, fin- where it finishes. Where forgiveness and new life comes in, the church is established, Jesus returns to heaven, and he ascends to heaven. And why he does this is where it becomes even more unlikely how this victory is. He says, I want more people to come into my kingdom. So I'm going back to heaven. My spirit's going to come down. And now there is a time where this grace, this victory that I have won, is available to anyone who believes. And so there's this period of a thousand years, or that's what the Bible calls it. It's a sort of a period of time between when Jesus was here and when he's going to come back, where many people will say, many people who believe that the price has been paid or believe that the sentence has been served in Christ can enter the saving work of God. And so that at the end, and the end, where does the end of the Bible finish? The end of the Bible finishes with God and His people living in perfection again. That's the hope. That's where it's getting to in the end. And He wants many people to be in that place with Him. And at the the end, picture is a city, a massive city with millions and billions of people, you know, of those beings, uh, those who are saved. What happens in between, I've just got there, is the, the, the mopping up battle. Um, and this, this is like uh, Satan knows that the war has been won when he, he saw that Jesus paid the price of sin. And remember, uh, the Bible calls Satan the accuser. Uh, so he is, he is the one who actually comes against people and says, you are guilty, you do not deserve God's love, you are uh, horrible people, and he seeks to destroy you by um, r- having you remain in guilt and the weight of sin. And God says, no, they are now declared not guilty through me uh, who paid their price. And you guys, you know how this works. You know, uh, you've heard the stories of people who had a debt and someone came in and paid that debt. They didn't deserve it, nothing. And, that de- and then they, they go free, they go from that place debt-free. And it's the same transaction that's happened here. Or you know what it's like, you've heard of people where people were declared uh, guilty or they were going to be um, killed for whatever it was and someone comes in and steps in their place and say, do it to me, I'll do it. And they are either killed or they, they go to jail. They suffer the consequence so that that person goes free. We as humans know how this works. This is not just some sort of airy fairy. This actually works in the reality of the world. And so this transaction that's happening here can be applied to you from someone else. And Jesus is saying all you have to do, all you have to do from being uh, on death row like Barabbas... Um, or, you know, all you have to do is believe that it's true, believe that Jesus, and so receive the gift, receive the gift that he gives, that he'll stand in your place so that you can go free. But in the mopping up battle, that's where I wanted to go. So where we live in this time, because I I don't know if you've noticed, the world is a messed up place at the moment. And so between now and, and when Jesus comes again, uh, Satan knows that victory has been won. People would be declared uh, not guilty and free. And he knows that his time is limited. And if you know what happens for people in that situation, they become extremely desperate. And, they, uh, and that's what the Bible says. He's like, he's, he knows his last time there, and so he's wreaking destruction in the world. And the consequences of sin and evil we're seeing so prevalent in our world around us at the moment, aren't we? Um, I watched a movie uh, this week. Um, the movie is called Fury uh, it 's not for kids so don 't kids don 't watch this movie it 's a war movie. Um, and in this war movie, they, they follow a, a tank battalion it uh, 's second World war, um, and they 're a tank battalion that goes into Germany pretty well after the war has been won. So Germany, the Germans have been defeated all around the world and it's pretty well only in, German that, in Germany that they're left. And they're into into Germany and, and the Allies are sort of coming into Germany and they're actually um, s- set with two reasons, to, to, to go in there and to sort of mop up. So, uh, the Nazis know the, the, the war is over, they've got no, and it's just a mopping up. And Hitler um, declares, he says, what I want to happen is that we're in our last time, so everyone has to get in on um, living out my, and, you know, getting involved in this war and, and seeking to destro- destroy the enemies, um, but people kn- know that the, that the freedom is actually coming from from the allies. And so the allies, as they come in, these people go, they're freeing people from the Ger- so the Germans are fleeing to them, the people in the in Germany and knowing freedom, and they're they're going out, um, and there are also some troops in there that are um, being freed. In it, what strikes you as you watch this movie is the reality and horror of war and what actually it costs to free people and this is the picture that the bible gives us that at the moment as as satan sort of is at work in this world that there is horror and bloodshed and um, and terrible things that are happening as satan has this last time and so um, he 's saying, "Now turn to those who bring salvation and come to those who have salvation, and presents a hope of salvation uh, in the future." But in this frantic last moment, um, realize that in the midst of this and this is what sort of comes out in this movie that there is hope and there is joy and there is forgiveness. And in in this movie, you get these little glimpses of where some of the soldiers actually give forgiveness to each other and show mercy to each other. And there's these little uh, relationships of love that happen in the midst of this horror. And in the midst of these last days, and we look in the world around us, there is a hope that is coming. There is a joy that is coming. There's a love that's coming amidst all of this. And Jesus is saying, turn to me and be free in this. Last week, uh, if we go to the next slide, last week, uh, as Rob alluded to, we had a baptism and for me, uh, that was, that, that baptism is a sign of reality of what we 're celebrating today and uh, Colossians here it says, um, having been buried in baptism and raised in, uh, raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead and as we uh, baptized Abby last week, uh, it was that symbol. Uh, wasn't it that as she went below the water, it was, she died. That was her, died to herself, and then as we rose her back up again, she rose to a new life. And what it was her response? <laughs> this was it's victory. I have a new life in Christ. The old has gone, and the new has come. This celebration of an unlikely victory for. Um, what did she describe herself as a rebellious Jew who swore, no, an atheistic Jew who swore that she would never put foot in um, another place of worship again. And yet she has an encounter with Jesus and he brings her from death to life. I was thinking of that, of Barabbas. Most unlikely situation where he gets to meet Jesus And this thing happened. We don't know exactly what happened with Barabbas, but we do know what happened to the criminal on the cross next to Jesus, who was like Barabbas. And he saw Jesus and put his faith in Jesus. And he too entered into new life with Jesus. The guilt was put on Jesus as he dies. Jesus pays the price. And then he rises to victory, showing his power over it. And as I've alluded to, how does this victory come ours? How do you receive this victory? Well, that, that's the answer, isn't it? <laughs> you receive it. You just take it. How do you get someone to pay your debt? Well, you let them pay it. And you, you live in that reality. If you're on death row and someone... How, well, you live in the reality of that now. You receive the gift and live in that reality. You believe it to be true. And that's how this victory is passed on to us. If we believe it to be true, then it is ours. And it's interesting, so the, where the rest of this passage goes, it starts to say, um, if this is your reality, if this is your victory now, if you think about Barabbas, you think about some of these, how would you live? What would your response be? Wouldn't your response be one of thankfulness and one of joy? Is it? And this is why we celebrate that now. We say, thanks be to God. This is who we are now because of you. And the rest of this passage, it's interesting, it goes on. It says, don't go now back to living the law and thinking that this is all about do's and don'ts and stuff. No, your life now has been bought free. Your life becomes free. Um, one of thanks christians call it worship and and the bible sort of then lays out what that looks like the law then becomes what love looks like you're not obeying to keep god happy anymore because he is happy because you're guilt-free you've been clean you've been washed there is nothing about you that he doesn't like anymore through jesus and so now he says live a life of freedom live a life of love Live a life of grace. And you know how this works too. We have laws in this land. Because lots of people think that Christianity is just about laws, do's and don'ts. We have laws in this land and we're called to obey. Why are those laws there? Those laws that are not there just to catch people out and just to make people feel guilty. The laws are there to help us live in the fullness of life. They're actually to help us live safely and well with each other. Even though our laws are made by imperfect people, but think about the laws of God that are made by a perfect God. So I mean, I, there's logic and reality about what we're, we're talking about here today. You know this to be true. It's not just airy-fairy stuff out there. We actually live this out as humans. We know how this transaction works, and we know that law. You know, living in that now is not about just being not being caught out but it's by living in the fullness of life. And that's what Jesus comes to bring us uh, this Easter. And so if you believe this to be true, it changes everything. That you are to called to live in this victory, live in this reality. That you're not bound by the way the world thinks of you. Or you're not even bound by the way you think of you that through faith in Jesus, you are bound by what he thinks of you. And he sees you as perfect, debt-free, washed clean, right with him through Jesus who paid the price. So as we finish up then, and and chapter 3 of Colossians sort of unfolds this, we'll go to the next slide. finishes up this. So if you believe it to be true... If you believe that this is your reality, then since then you have been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above. And this is the hope thing. So in the midst of this mopping- up battle, if you believe this is true, if you believe what the Bible says is true, then you know that Jesus is going to come again and he's going to create a new earth, and we're going to live with him in eternity for perfection, with perfection for eternity. If that's your reality, then you've got to have hope in this world. It's, it changes everything. If that's your reality, I know that I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. If that's my reality, that's what I've got to think about, that there is a God who is over and above all this and he's coming back again. And I even get to taste some of that life now, even though not in his fullness, but it is coming back and I have hope. And starts to change the way that I live and perceive this world. If this is true, therefore, as God's people, and who are God's people? We are victors. We've got victory over sin and death through Christ. Well, then clothe yourself with compassion. And he starts to list, Paul starts to list off what that looks like. He talks about gentleness, kindness, patience, uh, forgiveness. And you actually start to live that out. And this is what I say to people. If you could live that out, imagine what our world would look like. If ISIS was living out this sort of stuff, imagine what the world would look like. He says, if this is your reality, start to live this so to infiltrate the world with my love. Start to live in this way because it actually brings hope. It brings victory. It enables you to live in love with each other. And he finishes off. He says, if this is your reality then... Let the peace of Christ rule in your lives and be thankful. If this is your reality, that you are held in the arms of God because of what Jesus has done, then actually it doesn't matter what happens to me, whether I live or die, I'm held in the, Christ, in the hand of Christ. And that I have an eternity before me, that I actually can begin to savour the fullness of life here on this earth. I can actually experience joy and peace in my life here on this earth, no matter what may come my way. So in that most unlikely way, (laughs) Jesus comes to us today and says, receive this gift of life. I have paid the debt. I have paid the price. All you need to do is receive it and then live in its reality. Live in its reality and experience the love, the hope and the peace that that brings to life, both now and forever. That is worth celebrating. Let's pray. Lord and God, we ask that this morning, this Easter Sunday, that we would know and experience the reality of who you are and who we are because of you. Lord, we pray that um, some of the things that we've talked and heard about this morning would sink into our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move that in our hearts, that we would begin to trust this and to live in this reality. Lord, may we know that hope. May we know that peace. May we know um, that love. And so, Lord, uh, amongst us this morning, would you work and remind us of that truth? And would you help us to take steps of faith? Whether we've been a Christian for 30 years or whether here this morning we're not even a Christian, will you help us to take steps of faith to live in this reality so that we may know what it is to live as children of the living God? So, Lord, now as we sing and celebrate, will you move by your Spirit that we may encourage one another and give you glory. Amen. It's interesting where this passage fi- ends up. It, it, it ends up uh, uh, by saying this. Um, so you who know Christ, dwell in him richly, teach one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And so it's saying together we get to sing to each other and with each other of these glorious truths. And that's the way that we celebrate. So this morning as we sing now and celebrate that truth, uh, we sing it to God and to each other as we worship in this reality of who we are in Christ. So let's sing.